0: Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking.
1: Hey, Tom, how are you today?
2: I am doing well. How are you doing, Russ? Fine. You look
1: funny with your earbuds, in. just saying. <laughs> That's okay. It feels like something's missing. I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> your ears tom what happened to your ears they got bigger <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty sad
1: and today we are joined by uh, mike devorkin let's see get hedgehog right hedgehog right
0: it's Hedgehog, yes but the website okay. is githedgehog.com. all right cool good luck so spelling like
1: it. okay and um so we actually have hedgehoggers on the hedge today so why Why do, why do the, why does, why is not the hedgehog stop hogging the hedge?
0: Well, that's hedgehog. That's
1: a hedgehog. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hedgehogs to everyone. (laughs) That's right.
1: Um, So, and the other person we have on is Marcus Heese. Did I say that right, Marcus?
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay. Awesome. And Marcus is, where are you, Marcus, physically?
3: Oh, physically, I'm actually in Vancouver in Canada. Oh, and okay. uh, the honor working together with Mike uh, in the Bay Area. We're all kind of remote and uh, making us work together sort of in a new way.
1: So if, if you point that camera down so we can see out the window, will we see whales? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you actually would see Science World, one of our icons and, uh, in Vancouver. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah, that's great. Because I know Vancouver, the last time I went, they had all these whale watching go out and, you know, hang out with the whales on the boat. Although, I don't know. I mean, the killer whales right now, you may not want to see.
0: Yeah, you don't want to deal with them. Like they're, <laughs> they're sort of like developing death wish. <laughs> kind of cool, I, though.
1: Yeah, I just read a story yesterday that they destroyed another sailboat.
0: Oh, they did? Wow.
1: Yeah, like in some strait of Magellan or I don't know, someplace. And they just like, yeah, they just, a bunch of them swarmed it and took off the keel and like, poof. Like, they, they did some major damage to a sailboat,
0: like, yesterday. You know, the crazy thing, how they swarm and how they conspire together. That's that's yeah. the coolest thing about yeah.
1: it. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't think that a whale would have enough, like, the skin is too soft. Like, there's muscle and stuff. And these things are made out of steel and fiberglass. Like, it's just a weird thought in my mind that, like, they can go in and destroy fiberglass boats and stuff. But, okay.
0: Yeah teamwork, I'm sure they had like enough time to prepare. I mean, there have been like numerous movies in the past about this, so it's just coming true.
1: Yeah, now instead of having jaws, they're going to have bumps.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the new one.
0: <laughs> That's it, man. We're screwed as a species.
1: So, Marcus, let's start here. So, why do we care about root of trust in a network at all, right? I mean you think that i have this network of gear i put it in place i boot it i do all my stuff like who cares
3: yeah um me asked uh, let me respond first with a counter question why would i not care right and i think there are, there are two big reasons why one should care um first of all is particularly when we're talking about deployments at the edge here now right which could be edge or maybe even far edge um, did you have really always physical control over your gear that might not always be a given, right? That's, I think that's reason number one. And the second one, and this might be a bit more related to us as hedgehog is when we look at who's going to be the user who's using our devices or our product for that matter, they're going to be people who are coming from the cloud. There might be people who have not that much exposure to hardware actually in general, I'm uh, I'm still the generation of people like when I started my career I was more in operations so I handled like physical hardware myself a lot, but if you look at people who start their careers particularly nowadays, their exposure is probably AWS or Google Cloud, and what is their exposure to network constructs? It's VPCs, it's Elastic Network Interfaces, and um, it's probably less the likes of BGP, etc. Right. I think so we you ought to lock
1: at, those people in a room with a bunch of routers and make them build something.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so if you look at this this type of customer, right, they they have certain expectations, and the expectations that everybody has on the cloud is, is that your your infrastructure is secure. Kind of questionable if it really is, but as one of the big arguments that everybody is making or has been making in the past was probably one, one of those people before, too, that you can't run physical infrastructure in a secure manner the same way how cloud providers can do it, right? So expectations would be the same, actually, when it comes to networking gear. Like, yeah, that that runs in a secure way, does it not, right? Why would it not? Expectations are essentially the same. And that, of course, is very opposite of what we traditionally did in networking we installed the devices, we know we always were the only people having like physical access to it. Um, The likelihood of exploits coming in through these type of um, networking protocols, et cetera, of a completely different matter or scale than let's say web server. So I guess people did not care too much about like really like securing these devices. For us, this is a fundamental thing to do. And I guess the next question sort of would be, what can you do? And yeah.
1: now I remember when I was at Cisco Tech, people used to call us all the time and say, "I'm going to install this box in a remote office. What can I do to secure it?" And the answer was always, if they have access to the console port, there's not a whole lot you can do. And then when I was all at right. LinkedIn, we were designing this whole thing <clears throat> around. Having being able to install a, a router, a, like a half rack of equipment, into a remote location or into even like Equinix into a colo or something, uh, some for some provider, and having like sensors on it so that if somebody grabs it and moves it, like they're going to take it out of the physical, it it, it um, erases all the hard drives. And yeah. you know, if the temperature gets too high in the facility, it erases all the hard drives because there's user data on there, right? And 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 that user data is PII. It's it's you know, it's secure, and you and it also has keys on it because it's using IPsec or whatever to get the phone home. All that stuff is critical. So I think you know, for remote locations, it makes perfect sense that you just yeah.
0: have to have something. And there is, like, the whole new cottage industry of, like, people who are basically providing, like, rack-level security solutions, like, you know, they're putting sensors everywhere, like, they control the door, they, they have cameras, um, and then, like, there is, like, a lot of analysis going on has, whether somebody has tampered with the rack, and, like, as you said, like, if, if something happens, just, like, wipe the data. It's, it's, it's draconian, but, like, now that you have an attended edge, this is going to be the norm. Because yeah. like otherwise right. people can get a hold of like sensitive information. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it's... another
1: piece of that would be being able to secure the device off the console port, right? So you can't just plug into the console port and do something yeah.
0: with it. Well, it's the first thing. Then you shouldn't be tampering with the with the device. You need to be able yeah. to test.
3: Right. Okay. So, and, and I mean, I think we we should even try to get this to a point that even if you do have access to access to a console port, you can't just do stuff with it. Right, and with I'd say like in quotes, no normal compute hardware, right? Um, there's there's things that one can do. It, it starts from simple things as having BIOS passwords in place, and then uh, of course it goes further down the road. You want to have a BIOS password. You want to enable secure boot. You want to, um, as you guys said, you want to actually look at at sensor data if like a chassis was opened or something, and you might want to react to this, right? And of course, there are other mechanisms nowadays, which help the TPM, which, which is essentially the device we are leveraging a lot too, um, which can uh, help you attest your whole chain to see that everything is actually still in the expected state. Nobody was like exchanging the operating system. Nobody did things in a way which we did not expect. And, uh, and you can go from there, right? Um, challenges to this, of course, are, for example, there's ONI. Um, ONI, I'd say, in the most uh, most versions, how it is out there at, at this point in time, is not really secure. I mean, you go into the ONI rescue system, you have a shell, and as you said, you have access to the console port, you own the device, right? And that's kind of also done on purpose, right? That's, you. if you have to go into the ONI rescue shell, something actually went terribly wrong, right? This is why you want to have all the pieces in place that you can repair the device.
1: So maybe explain um, ONI real fast because people may not, listening may not even know. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, so ONI is the open network Install environment. It's essentially, well, networking people call it a bootloader, but at the end of the day, it, it's a Linux system. You have access to the device. You have all the right tools in place to have access to uh, physical drives, to changing the UEFI firmware in ways that might not be intended. You have full root access to to the box at the end of the day. Um, But I, and ultimately ONI is already a little bit, uh, a little bit older. I have the biggest respect though for the ONI project. It's uh, it's amazing being able to ship out uh, software like this across the industry, across the vendors, making it the installation environment for uh, for everything is uh, is something which deserves quite some respect. Um, if you look at recent only versions, though, um only the contributors have been adding secure boot capabilities and what they call also extended secure boot, um which means they're adding like, passwords to the grub bootloader, and and also just passwords to only access itself too. In my opinion, one of the big problems with this though is, it means you got to set these passwords kind of at only compilation time, right? So now if as a vendor, I set like a hard coded password, which only I know, well then, at the end of the day it kind of becomes one of these known passwords oh look up the hedgehog bony password and now you're in so that's actually a challenge that that you have to deal with but um i kind of think there are things that can come to the rescue right so
1: otherwise that's what these passwords are if everyone
0: knows the password right that's not a password it's not a password
3: anymore and as again the sense just the open console port where you can just do things, right? So the way how we've been thinking about this is that, um, well, all the, all the newer networking hardware, they're all UEFI based. And um, well, UEFI does have NVRAM, you can set your own UEFI values. And kind of the way how we're going about this that Well, if you can have access to UFI and VRAM, which you can have in a grub bootloader, which you can, of course, once ONI is actually fully booted in the Linux system, then um, you're actually able to enroll at installation time, um, passwords there too, which can be hashes, don't need to be clear text passwords. And it can come sort of from like a centralized control management plane, which you control. And even if you lose access to this type of password, you set a new password, you basically re-enroll your ONI. And again, you have sort of access to it without now actually somebody else who might just sticking it to the console port knowing that password.
1: So what, so what is UFI?
3: Oh, that's the unified extensible firmware interface, but okay. it's basically the new fancy word for BIOS.
1: Okay, so basically what you're talking about is having the ability to embed a hash and possibly a salt, right, of a password directly into the firmware, so that when Uni boots, it pull or Uni boots, sorry, it pulls that directly from the hardware, and because you can't get to the hardware, you can't change it, like it's, yeah, but it's per device.
3: Yeah, it, it's it's per. You could do it per device the way how we're approaching is is that. Having a password per device is uh, it's kind of cumbersome. Uh, we basically call it, we do it basically per cluster or would be per edge location where we say, okay, we set the same password on these. You're able to change it, re-enroll it again. Um, this way we, we, we get to a solution which is, I'd say secure, but but also not too cumbersome on operations. As I have a long operational past myself, I, I know how how bothersome this can be.
1: Yeah, interesting. So if it's per cluster or per location, then somebody could still break into it because there's still gotta be a list someplace, right? Of that information. We stick it in a JSON file you, and we put it in AWS. <laughs> you um we stick it in GitHub.
3: <laughs> so so yeah, the, the way right. how yeah, the, <laughs> the way how we enrolled it is is that if you set the password at installation time of our control plane and we store the salt. Right? So you still need to basically secure that password yourself. And if you do not set the password at all, then you don't get these additional benefits of the protection, which might be something that people want to opt for because well, we're taking security very seriously,
2: but not not
3: everybody might.
2: Yeah. So how how hostile of an environment could you would you be comfortable? deploying, um, using what you've described, would you, would you put it in a shopping mall? Would you put it in a bus station that's outside where someone could easily have access to the hardware? Or would you say, well, it it is secure in as much as proper physical security controls are also implemented. Like how, how confident, um, in, in the root of trust as you've described it, are you, are you personally, how do you feel about it?
3: I feel I feel very like shopping malls, for example, very much feel comfortable with this. If you're talking about a bus station where somebody really opens up the hardware and now goes maybe directly to the CPU and uh, you can do all sorts of like low voltage attacks, et cetera. I mean, you're entering an area where at some point there's as much as you can do. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, right? If the two doors in a row to close, you should close two doors and not just one, right?
0: Yeah, but this is where like a can help as well, right? Because it's a sort of like continuous attestation. station, and like yeah. if if <laughs> right. you detect yeah. any sort of like anomaly, you you start like shutting down things, and you can exclude a node from the network because yeah, uh, you so know it's a, misbehaving.
3: Yeah, my, Mike's bringing up a, a good point. This is this is the other big piece which we're doing, which we're bringing to OD et cetera as well. Um, is that we essentially want that devices are tested before we even allowing the installation, right? So that means that we extended only to have TPM two tools available in there, to um, in, to involve basically the uh, Keylime agent as well, and to, to put this here. Keylime is an uh, attestation open source project. It was relatively recently moved under the CNCF. And uh, we're leveraging this here too, and we'll be leveraging it in both places. We're trying to basically get to a point where hardware attestation is complete before we allow imaging the system, right? And then once the system is imaged, we do continuous attestation again too, so that if there is a change uh, in attestation, then you have choices, right? You could wipe the system again, you could reinstall it again, or if it isn't a physical remote uh, place, you might ask somebody from security to walk by and see what's
0: happening, right? So well, you just simply disable the device and like take it out of the network. Like okay. if you just detect like, something that's like super dangerous has happened.
1: So uh, ONI must have built-in protocols to do this attestation, is that correct?
3: ONI at the moment does not have built-in protocols to do this. This is why we did extend ONI to do this. I. I have not, and uh, Mia Copa on that. I have not yet um, actually made this uh, cha- upstream
2: change. Uh, well, uh, now I was just curious because you talk yet, about, it,
1: yeah, you're talking about attestation about before the bot before you load the OS. But the OS has um, the network stack. Well,
2: Oni Oni is an OS. Like yeah, Oni right, Oni yeah. will give you everything. It's Linux. I mean, so and and as soon as you guys upstream it, then the rest of us can benefit. So that'll be right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, but also like once the switch boots, you run that station continuously in the NAS as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so it's not just like specific to money.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to do hardware root of trust by using a TPM. And we want to establish that root of trust essentially before we image the server. And because the hardware at the station has been complete, we then basically can establish controller root of trust. Which we then enroll a client certificate, and in the case when the TPM is there, we enroll it in the TPM too. Which then will be used in order to talk to your imaging server to actually download an image, right? So, so
1: then, so yeah. then another kind of question is there in in my mind is like, okay, so can you roll this key because it's in the TPM? You can't. Absolutely,
3: right? you 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 want to roll the keys. You want to roll yeah. the keys. Yeah. 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 so
1: could you roll it like every time you boot or something but then you have to roll it for the whole rack or whatever you've done for your unit of work for this right
3: you could roll it on every boot so i think it'd be a bit uh, a bit overkill okay. um but i mean it's a good security practice in general to roll keys uh often right
1: yeah well i don't know i mean some boxes stay up for years and years so every boot wouldn't actually be that often but so I well, we we,
3: we can we can roll the keys while the loss is running. We don't need to wait for Oni in order to do this, right? Okay. And right. and this this is an advantage that we can leverage here. The system that we sort of, well, at least at the moment, came up with is that we are actually installing what we call a separate identity partition, so that we can also leverage basically devices which do not have a TPM, right? That's might be a given for some devices, we don't have it in all devices. For these devices, we use an identity partition where we just well, have the key on disk. I guess that's sort of the best that you can do in these devices. Still better than not doing it at all. It's still, in order to hack this, you need access to the disk itself, right? Which means you will need to open it up, et cetera. Um, and in the cases where there is a TPM, we actually don't store the key in the TPM itself, but we use the TPM to encode it and then uh, encrypt it and store it on the identity partition itself. It's easier to to roll it this way and easier to manage.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to be using a hardware key directly because then it can't be rolled, right? Anything that's built into the TPM can't be rolled. So you need to use the TPM as local only and never send anything across the wire that could then be used, you know, in an attack to try to brute yeah. force or to yeah. figure out like what the TPM's what the TPM's doing. And then I guess, does any of this tie to SSH or any other secure access of any kind? Because you have the key now. Or would you say that that users would still want to, or based on this, still build a separate key for for secure access of various kinds?
3: So that I mean that that kind of involves uh, a more of a different question, how you actually want to manage your devices, right? And at least in the cloud, the movement has been going towards that, well, you actually should not have any access to those servers at all because it poses a risk, right? Which brings us to the point that the way how we control and manage the network devices is actually through central control plane management, right? You, you don't need to log into the device. Personally, I'd say it's always good to have it and you should you should manage SSH keys on it as well, but uh, it sort of makes it optional in this regard. Right? Mm-hmm. We do not involve though the TPM when it comes to SSH keys. Mm-hmm. Um, what we That's do right. involve it though for, and this goes maybe deeper into what Keyline is actually doing. So. Keylime is an open source project, which has been around already for some time, too, only moving to the CNCF is relatively recent. They essentially have three types of policies that they allow you to apply for any quotes that come from the TPM. And the most simple type of policies would be just uh, what they call TPM policy. So they essentially just compare hashes against the PCR registers, which are there. And um, in my opinion, though, it's kind of impossible to manage this in real life scenarios as a as a policy, because these a tiny upgrade to the system and all of these values might change. And uh, how do you manage this on an upgrade procedure? It's it's very much impossible, in my opinion, to really achieve this. The second way how they how uh, type of policies which they're offering is they call the measured boot reference state. And for that, it goes further. It actually extracts the whole TPM event log, And then you can do policies based on a TPM event log. And now we're getting into a territory where for a reoperating operating system, you can actually craft a policy which you will know will be sort of the same on every box when you install it. And it becomes sort of a manage- manageable state. You can ensure that secure Boot is activated. You can ensure that well, all the measurements are in place how you expect it to from the shim over the bootloader, the Linux curl, you get all the measurements in place and uh, you can sort of be sure-ish that your device hasn't been tampered with.
1: Okay. Yeah. That all sounds really interesting. So in the situation where people just aren't logging in, I mean, how are they doing configuration? I guess for a server, it makes more sense because you don't, because you just load an image you basically load right. a container. But for a router or a switch. That's not so easy. It feels right. it's,
0: like. it's the same thing. It's like we need to start dealing with networking infrastructure the way people deal with servers. You have to treat them as cattle, right? It's 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 it's, it's the uh, it's bunch of devices that you apply configuration to. You don't log in for that. Like you have like other ways you can push it. Push out a configuration that's been pre validated, uh, that's been approved. And you have like pretty well understood ways of like pulling that configuration out if you cause some sort of like catastrophic change that like brings something down or causes degradation. Uh, There are already tools available for this. It's just like, you know, it's the CCIE thinking that like you need to like touch the CLI that kind of haunts us today still.
2: I, I I wonder I'm like guilty this is, on this myself. <laughs> the the idea that that it is like we have this allergic reaction to an agent running on the thing we're trying to manage. Like people get like so enthralled with Ansible and other like, oh there's no agent. If there's no agent, then everything's better. And I just I just I don't know why we have this allergic reaction to running it's configuration reduction. management agents. On things just complexity. run an agent secure yeah. its connection to a controller and it's it's not going to kill you it's it's funny to me though how many network people are like i can't run an agent on a switch what are you talking like it's perceived yes, complexity
1: you can. it's perceived yeah that complexity.
0: goes goes back to the day when people like wrote those things in java it will like gobbled up like you know 16 gigs of ram for like doing some yeah. basic yeah. CLI manipulation people will freak out that like all of a sudden like your routing processes are dying right it's uh right. Well, It's sort of like kind of like doing this on MP walk on the routing table, right? It's also (laughs) the
1: same thing with we don't want to run two protocols because two protocols are more complex than one. Well, that's not necessarily true, right? It's not necessarily more complex or less complex to have an agent on the box. But what I guess I was confused about was like thinking, okay, if you're never going to have any access to this box, but you're talking about just having access, just not CLI access, Right. You still change configuration stuff like that. It's just necessary. yes. You still
0: like hook it up to some control plane. Yeah, yeah. But okay. I I think th- I think the challenge with a lot of automation tools for a lot of like classical networking people is very simple. Now I have this magic, and like it's like some policy, blah blah blah, and that results in like some configuration, and it gets applied magically to the boxes, and correlating between this like desired state or as like some people call it intent. Um, and like what's going on in the network is not always easy because like, these are like completely different nomenclatures and completely different ways of looking at things. And I like, how do you like combine this together? And a lot of people like, like I remember from the days of like intent based networking, right. Kind of like had the like freak outs over this magic. So like people had to like come up with like, Oh, policy validation and whether like the policy state was properly applied and then measuring that and then providing feedback and adding like some like intermediate validation steps that were like kind of completely unnecessary. Uh, if there was a good way of just displaying how those two worlds kind of correlate together.
3: I mean, I, I think uh, this is totally a historically grown problem and and it's one that in compute, you went through the same type of history right? I. I was a Linux system administrator when we were still racking servers and I went through this whole change of my job where we like suddenly did not really deal with hardware anymore. And then we did things in the cloud and then we realized that, oh, actually we can do that programmatically. Things changed to becoming programmatically. All the tools, but that also changed over time, but it also took time. It's not that you got there from like here to there uh, in a blip, right? So. If you think of early days configuration management tools, you look at Ansible nowadays. That's already a world of difference, right? And if you think of intent-based the- uh, things like um, I always forget the name of it HashiCorp's um, uh, Terraform, Terraform, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, which would probably be like the uh, the biggest intent-based system for whole hardware altogether, uh, which you can also make terribly mistakes easily. <laughs> I need to be very careful with it, but um, I think you're just you're careful when you use the CLI on a box too. Why should you all of a sudden be not careful when you when you write the state for your or the specifications for your for your intended state?
0: Yeah, and that's and that's why you have like CACD pipelines and you have like QA. You test those things out, like you have, and and it kind of forces the right process. And you, and it forces you to treat this it. as just software. Yeah. And, so, you know, like when, and, and you can apply the same rigor to a person banging on a CLI.
1: Um, well, to some degree, yes and no, but yeah. Um, so, how does this interact with automation systems? Like we're talking about this hardware root of trust, and now we're talking about automation a little bit. How does this interact with automation? I assume you're saying you would you would say that you roll your key on a regular basis using an automation system you manage the keys using automation systems and that you don't allow the automation system to do stuff until the until the operating system loads which is going to be dependent on passing this this key this key situation
3: so i I'd, I'd say management of keys does not really involve cicd systems uh, that much so it, in that fact at all, but of course it needs to be automated. So you have, you have to build this into the software or agent that you ship. And you have to have to alert on the fact that something goes wrong, right? So these are the the basics of automation. You don't say anything when things work, complain when things, when there's an anomaly, right?
2: Okay. To me, tell tell me if this is the way you see it. To me, if the fact that you have established a root of trust, that you trust this piece of hardware gives you the ability to load software on it. Gives you the ability to bring it into whatever your infrastructure management is. You can now trust this device. You can say it's okay to run an agent on it because I know I've taken the steps. That I know that this is not some attacker joining, um, you know, my my infrastructure. To me, it's more implicit than explicit. It's saying that it's I trust the device, therefore I'm going to manage it with my regular tools. Is that is that kind of how you see it?
3: That's, That's totally how I see it. it
0: yeah yeah so it's like basically it's not it hasn't been tempered with so like right. it's likely not malicious and then you bring in your uh management and control plane agents that are again like you them through the software uh software supply chain tools you know, like basically vet that and then you bring a trusted piece of software that's going to be basically governing the configuration on your box right and you establish the relationship between the platform and the box and the controller.
1: And if you lose the key, suppose let's say we lose the key, we do this. I mean, is the the, the bro- key. Is the box the, brick or the, the is key, it more?
3: Yeah. You like bring up an ex- or the next yeah. the password or whatever, right? You you bring up an excellent point, right? And and this actually ties into both. How do you recover? And you need to re- always be able to recover from your intended state. That's why actually desired state systems are so great because here's what you can do. You can go back into your, let's say all of this, the box is lost. The box is lost for whatever reason you might not even realize, right? You go into the box, you boot into your only where you want to say, I want to recover Oni," And the process essentially starts all over again. And why is that not really a big problem? Well, because, You have already all your configuration, all your intended state written. You know there is an event, so you know you need to take this uh, box sort of out of the trusted state right now because you need to reattest it, right? So you reprovision it, you allow it again into the cluster, it basically goes through the same procedure again, and then it does the full installation of what it's supposed to be. So essentially, that doesn't become such a big event at the end of the day at all if that makes sense. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah, that's fine. That's, I was just, yeah, because I'm sure somebody's sitting out there thinking you lose the, you you lose the key to the lock and the whole router is basically black, you know, it's just, it's just a boat anchor now. Yeah, you replace the
0: door at that point. Mm, Yeah. Yeah,
3: And and we can, what's important though, is that you're able to replace the door fast, right? So it needs to be a door which is replaceable fast. If it's one which you need to be very, and are tedious just just because the door is old or whatnot, then it's a problem, right? But we're trying to build a system where those doors are replaceable when you want it. If you don't okay. want it, then you don't need to.
1: Okay, that makes sense. That make I mean, that's that's actually a bit you know. And if you if you, ever leave. if you if you
2: if you don't do this right, then you end up with um, an unnamed SD WAN vendor recently who figured out what happens when you don't um, handle these things correctly, I don't want to name any names, but you know, I think it's most people probably know who I'm talking about. Like if you don't handle um, your hardware verification and your root of trust in a way that can be managed, if you just say, Oh, in 10 years, I'm not going to have this problem. Then, you know, there's, there's a big problem there. Um, You know, in, in, in in what we were just talking about, you have to be able to replace the door. If you don't think about the door and you say, ah, the door is a tomorrow problem. Then I think you're, you're setting yourself up for a, for a big failure
0: that's it's this this problem is a big deal especially at the edge right especially now that like we have like shortage of network specialists to attend to the racks and things are generally kind of like largely unattended or remotely controlled um and the likelihood of like being in a data center that's guarded that's that's going away can you imagine like when like computers will be hanging off utility poles the servers right you'll have like mini data centers any kid can climb up there and start like fussing with it can you imagine like the hackery that's yeah. going to ensue yeah of course so you have to have this
1: yeah of course yes and, and, I, and I think it's, it's also just the area.
3: expectations from from people who are now are coming from the cloud that these things are already in place right it's like we're assuming that power comes comes over the plug right that's as much as people, are, I would say right now, are assuming that security is in place. People have thought this through. They yeah, must that's have, like, right? Okay. And it's
0: like somebody else's magic, right? But like, all of a sudden, when it's your gear, you kind of have to like do this magic yourself.
3: Yeah. That's well, why um, it's important to provide similar or same tools for people who are used to managing the cloud to also be able to manage things on the edge, and that replacing it is should be a simple action. It should be that fast door replacement.
1: Well and I think that's part of the problem with the cloud from a skill per se- perspective is is that once you have abstracted away the hardware, it's very hard to think that the hardware is ever important again. Right? That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, it's it's, it's
0: pers- like it's somebody else's problem again, yeah. right? It's somebody exactly. else's computer that's running on. Yeah. You just but it's, it's still a computer. Yeah.
1: You turn it on and it just works. And like, this is gonna happen with self-driving cars too if they ever actually become reality, right? People are not just gonna forget how to drive. They're just gonna start think, stop thinking about cars altogether. Like cars will not exist in their mental space. And it's the same thing with cloud. Once you Once the router has stopped existing in your mental space, it's very hard to start believing in it
0: again. Yeah, until we <laughs> get run over.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: And it becomes I, I, real danger
3: i guess to a degree even this thinking is coming into into cloud computing too right confidential computing has been a, has been a big topic and which is where people are realizing that oh if something actually really happens at the hypervisor level um my data might not be protected anymore right yep. and even with confidential computing and how things are built right now they again, trying to leverage existing tools, which are there where they're going to the degree that they're now emulating a TPM device for your confidential VM. So that you can use similar, same tools that we used to at the hardware level to deal with this the same way. Yeah. And then people can sort of do the same thing with their VMs too. right? The kind of the same way, how we're thinking about it, how you need to do it with networking devices at the edge, just with your now confidential VMs, right?
1: Now, could you tie this stuff into the control plane into the routing protocols? Like, I won't form an adjacency with you on BGP or IS-to-IS IS until you can prove to me that you're a valid device or something like that?
3: One totally <laughs> should do that. It's,
1: yeah.
0: Yes, one totally that's, should that's, do that. That's, that's the goal. So okay. not, not only at BGP, but also when you bring up the links, can yeah. you establish the trust between two devices, right? And then can, can, can you trust... The protocol exchange.
2: I mean, there are there are there are hints of this in existing protocols. IPv6 has secure neighbor discovery, where you could uh, enroll uh, certificates, and you could um, you know th- some of those mechanisms exist. Um, I mean, that would be interesting. I don't know that anybody actually uses secure neighbor discovery in production. I've never heard of it, but um, th- I mean, that would be interesting at a link level. Um, but but turning into
0: into a system where it's like kind of controlled holistically, right? You just you just right. build the trust and security into the underlying fabric right it's, right you, you you uh, that's that's the, to, the interesting goal yeah
1: you can even extend it to your dns your local dns server exactly i won't i won't answer your dns queries until you print yeah, yeah because you're not going to
3: trust the device anymore yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but and, you, and, and, you're bringing up actually a good point i haven't even tried to make before yet which is that um you're already talking about bgp and the whole loss is in place right it even goes it's the problem starts like before that, right? The problem starts that traditionally when you, when you provision your device with ONI you need to have a DHCP server, which is ready to hand out all of these things. Right. And we are trying to go even that far up is saying that we're not going to do the DHCP at all. We're just doing the ONI link local neighbor discovery. Right. And because we sort of, the configuration is static beforehand. It's an intent-based system. So I know these ports are plugged in. I'm going to expect these on these devices here, right? Which means that I can sort of detect I'm expecting this device here and um, it attested well. Now I'm going to allow you to provision yourself, right? And you're going to chain this, right? So if you've got other de- like devices attached to, to. uh To now a provision device, we basically say the same thing. I'm inspecting a switch here. Yes, I'm going to allow you to provision yourself, or at least I'm allowing you to try to test yourself so that we can provision you. Mm -hmm. And I think what you kind of would want to have is the is the port level security there, right? And the protocols for this, but those existing protocols they're not really much used to you at the edge. So, how do you solve this? This is one of the way how we're trying, how we're thinking about is how to solve this.
1: Yeah, and that all makes sense to me. So yeah, yeah. and
0: and then, and then the the final step would be to like kind of establish the trust relationship between the compute side of things and the fabric itself. So whenever like compute comes up, they have to like self validate, self attest with the fabric, right? So it's like you apply the same principle.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I can see where this could all go, where you could get to the point where you don't need MD five or any sort of crypto on the for internal um, routing protocol stuff like that, and everything would just be done. Um, I know it's going to take a long time to get there, but that's you know it's a cool target. It's a cool. But, place but a lot
0: to... of stuff was already happening. Like look at what like Nvidia is doing, like with the root of trust, like within their NICs. Yeah, that's really cool stuff.
3: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's that's how I envision the dream goal for us as a company, right? Not only provisioning a network devices at the edge, but that we can leverage something like SmartMix to provision all the hardware which is involved too, right? And then you definitely have your your Terraform for the edge available, right?
0: Yeah, an interesting thing, like, you know, the, the NICs are basically evolving into this secure infrastructure enclaves within servers right or a sort of like logical extension of both the server and the network um, and a lot of interesting sensitive things you do not want to run in the in the, in the host you'll run them in there because like you can actually have a higher degree of security and stuff that's less trusted which usually runs in the user space you'll run in the host yeah it's like nice. the, the 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 server itself is going through this kind of crazy disaggregation of functions yeah
2: yeah. Well, and this, I, you know, this smart nicks are a nice uh, fat attack vector as well, because you could have a TPM running in the system and blow right past it on the way into the smart nick, and you know, it, it, if you don't establish that you can trust the device, then
0: exactly. But like, it's you have to do all the same things for the smart nick; you have to do it like at every level. So, and that's what like makes. But like now, all of the pieces are there, just like tying those pieces together into like this operational process that works and is not tedious right right
1: well that's all really cool i don't have much else um tom do you have any other
2: questions or no this has been great thanks for this coming been, on okay. guys uh, mike anything else
0: Nope. okay it was really Mark, good to see you guys Marcus? it's always fun Marcus?
3: no no okay. you guys have any other questions
1: nothing nothing i know So, Tom, where do people get in touch with you if they want to follow what you're working on? Send you nasty grams about messing up your headphones? (laughs)
2: Yeah, Yeah. if you'd like to send me a nasty gram about my headphone, feel free to do that on Twitter and I will (laughs) feel free to ignore you. And then um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Tom Ammon. He
1: won't hear you because he doesn't have headphones. (laughs) (laughs) Complain all you want to.
0: (laughs) This is the way it
1: works. So, Mike, where do people follow you or, you know, any, any do you blog any place or I assume you're on Twitter and LinkedIn, any other place?
0: I am on Twitter uh at the Dvorkin, the underscore Dvorkin. Uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Michael V Dvorkin. Okay. There is another Michael Dvorkin living like two miles away. So I have to put a V so like oh people wow. can distinguish us and he actually kind of looks like me too it's kind that's, of scary that's very sad yeah <laughs> i have like have a total doppelganger. yeah you uh,
1: should have been faster getting your linkedin account up you know <laughs> then you wouldn't have to put the middle initial in there
0: i <laughs> i think actually i had it in common before him but I, I actually don't know like it was okay. kind of weird like we we meet each other like every once in a while mostly around christmas
1: um that must be interesting you got a starbucks or something and they ask you for your name
0: yeah well like <laughs> i'm already mike so it's like there are like twenty thousand 000 mics in every single star yeah at any given moment so it's kind of crazy like like good for like being anonymous but
1: so uh marcus uh do you blog linkedin twitter anything
3: i guess the best way to to reach me reach out to me would be just over github uh, my okay. handle is amhis, and uh I'm contributing actively to KeyLime at the moment. Uh, we're helping out to, to bring KeyLime into the Kubernetes world. Um, there are upcoming contributions to ONI, for example. So you'll you'll see that coming too. And, I'm um, excited about that. Yeah. You can also reach okay. me over email. be marcus at gethedgehog.com. All right,
1: cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on. And for all of our listeners, thanks for listening We know that we live in a crazy world and your attention is important and your time is important. So thanks for listening to this little episode of The Hedge. We hope it's been really useful and we will catch you next time.